on going further. Amen. And so I want to take your attention here. We talked about the first time about going further in our personal devotion. Amen. And and the way we go further is through prayer and through fasting and through the reading of the word of the Lord. And, and today I want to just kind of take a little bit of a, uh, a digression here. I want to talk to uh, today about something that I believe that we don't always think about, but the reality is, is that we all deal with, and that is I want to go further in our spiritual fight. I want to go further in fighting the spiritual battle to, to remain strong and encouraged and steadfast in the Lord. And so we find here in the book of Nehemiah, there is a story of a man who was on a mission from God. God had placed a burden in Nehemiah's heart to leave his the comforts and the conveniences of Babylon, the city of Susa, where he had a, a very nice job, a cush job as a as a, as a cupbearer for the king, the, the king of uh, Arta, King Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon. And, and so he, as he was just going about his life, he caught word that the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar had, was still just in absolute destruction and that the exiles or the, the remnant that was still living there were, were, were down and out and discouraged. And after hearing this news, this update, about the status of the city of Jerusalem, his homeland, his home people, this man Nehemiah got a burden in his heart. He got a burden for a people. He got a burden for a place. And God began dealing with this man, Nehemiah, to leave his comforts, to leave his conveniences, and to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city. In other words, Nehemiah, God had a plan for Nehemiah. God had a purpose for Nehemiah to build up the kingdom. I want to tell you today, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, that God has a purpose for your life. Can I get a witness? God wants to build you up. God wants to use you to build his kingdom up. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God is not done with your life yet. And so here we find that as Nehemiah was was working towards going further in the Lord to, to accomplish the purpose and the plan that God had for his life, all of a sudden, Nehemiah started to face some resistance. He started to face some battles, some spiritual battles, some literal battles. And so Nehemiah, just in trying to do what he could for the Lord, found himself in the middle of a fight. I want to tell you today, Connection Point Church, at a, a on occasion that we, as we go about trying to serve God, do the right thing, live our lives, we're going to find ourselves in some spiritual battles, some emotional battles, some mental battles, if you will, just to press forward in the Lord. And so here's what we find here in Nehemiah chapter 4. So the Bible says, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Amen. I want to tell you today, there's nothing more rewarding than getting a mind to work for the Lord, getting on board with what God is trying to do and is already at work doing in and around your midst. And so he says, now it happened when, then, it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, the, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. Now you got to understand Jerusalem was completely laid waste because of their sin, because of their disobedience. God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the city. 
And now Nehemiah returns and sees the city in ruins and he begins building it back up. And so the Bible says that when the enemies of the Lord saw that, they became very angry. I want to tell you, there's nothing more than the enemy wants than to distract you, discourage you, and to deceive you from continuing in the work that God wants. The the enemy is angry when you serve God. The enemy is angry when you call a fast. The enemy is angry when you pray. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Amen. It goes on. What does it say? The next portion of Scripture, in verse 16, it says this. It says, And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows and the... And the uh, hab- what translation is this? I can't even read that. My goodness. Habersions. Brother Rick, what does that say? And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. I've got fasting brain or COVID brain. I don't know what it is. They which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens. All right, here's what was happening. With those that labeled everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work and within the other, he held a hand in his wep- uh, a weapon in his hand. Here's what was happening. They were building up the wall. The enemy was trying to resist them. And they got to the place where in one hand they had their tools to build and in the other hand they had their weapons to fight. I want to take your one more portion of scripture, the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible simply says this, for though we walk in the flesh that we don't war against the flesh. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God to bring into captivity every thought and to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And so for the next few moments, I just want to preach to you on this simple subject, going further in the fight, going further in the fight. Amen. How many want to get victory in your life? You want victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we just bow our heads? Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us. I want to preach long today, but I want to just encourage you today. God's got the victory. We've got to just fight in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace, for your help, for your mercies. God, I pray over every person, over every family that's fighting a bad attitude, fighting discouragement, fighting fear, fighting worry. God, I pray over this church, Lord Jesus. God, I pray, Lord God, let not the enemy discourage or distract or disrupt us from the progress that you have for us. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We ask it right now in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Amen. Further. I want to go further. I want to go further in the fight. Amen. Well, I know that technically it is still football season, uh, but as of last week, my football season ended in Jacksonville, Florida, with a humiliating defeat of Rana's Indianapolis Colts. I can't even claim them anymore, Rana. I'm not even going to claim them. They're not my Colts right now. But in light of just the current season, even though I don't want to have anything to do with football, I just, I just have a bad spirit in my heart right now. I was reminded of a story 
several years ago about the owner of a professional football team, the New England Patriots. Anyone ever heard of the New England Patriots? You know who that is? All right. It was a, story, it was a sports-related story that kind of transcended, though, the world of sport news, sporting news. And at the time when I heard this story originally several years ago, it seemed a little bit strange to me because the details about the story seemed a little bit sketchy. But, but as more time passed and more details kind of came to the surface, the story kind of uh, it, it came to light and there was some clarity. You see, according to reports, all the way back in 2005, the owner of the New England Patriots professional football team came out with an interesting account of a run-in that he had, listen to this, with Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, while visiting the country back in 2005. Now, the owner of the Patriots is a man by the name of Robert Kraft. Now, Mr. Kraft, he just happens to be one of the wealthiest, most influential men in all of sports entertainment. He is, in fact, a multi-billionaire. He is a successful businessman and an owner of several very lucrative companies and properties, including uh, Gillette Stadium at the time. In addition to running several businesses, he also owns multiple professional sports teams, including the New England Patriots, who just happen to be one of the dirtiest, low-down, filthiest, cheatingest teams in all of professional sports. I just want to get that out there. Amen. That's a good place for you to say amen. Better get with the preacher on that. But nevertheless, he purchased the New England Patriots along with their stadium back in 1994 outright. Just paid cash. Just said, I got cash. Put it on the table for a whopping $172 million. Since that initial investment by Kraft and, uh, to buy the Patriots, the Patriots have appeared in eight Super Bowls probably cheated in all of them, and won six Super Bowls, and have risen to the top escalon of NFL franchises, all right? In fact, they are one of the highest revenue-generating franchises in all of professional sports. They are now estimated to be the second most valuable sports franchise in the country behind the Dallas Cowboys football team, estimated at approximately $5 billion. So he bought this team in 94 for 175 million and today as it stands this team is worth 5 billion dollars. That's not a bad investment. Needless to say that all by all normal standards Mr. Kraft is a very wealthy man, a very powerful man. Amen. He's pretty respected in some circles. He's highly influential by all accounts. He's a very powerful individual who is at the top of his respective world. But in 2005, Mr. Kraft learned a very important lesson about what it means to have power and, by contrast, to be in authority. Everyone say power. Everyone say authority. There's a difference between power and authority. There's a difference between influence and executive authority. 
You see, according to reports, Mr. Kraft visited the country of Russia back in 2005 after winning his third Super Bowl, and it was during his visit that he had an opportunity to meet with this gentleman, Mr. Vladimir Putin, who shortly after the visit, reports came out that Mr. Kraft had given his Super Bowl ring as a gift to Vladimir Putin. It was a very strange thing, and several news agencies were reporting on it back then, and when asked about this strange gift, he had... He, he had uh, just a strange remark that, that he simply had a great respect for the Russian people. And so it was kind of a sketchy news report. There was not a whole lot of details about it, but there was something fishy about it. But you, in a few years, as time went on, more reports came to, to light, more details came to light, and it was, it was understood that Mr. Kraft told what really happened, that he explained that there was a bit of a power struggle between himself and Mr. Putin. He describes this occasion as he was meeting with Mr. Putin. He was wearing this ring, and as they were talking about sports and their mutual experiences, he pulled out the ring to show Mr. Putin. When Mr. Putin saw the ring, he asked to see the ring. He took the ring, he put the ring on, and he walked out the door. Now, you've got to understand something. Mr. Vladimir Putin, in his own right, is a very powerful man. Amen? He is a former KGB intelligence officer. He is a renowned martial arts expert. He's been in politics for some 30 years. He's very powerful. He's very influential. But I want you to understand something today. Beyond having just power and influence, Mr. Putin has something that Robert Kraft did not. And that is Mr. Putin, in this occasion, had an authority. You see, Putin is not just a wealthy man, not just an influential man, but Mr. Putin is the leader of one of the largest and most powerful nations in the entire world. He oversees a country and nation with a total GDP of 1.4, not million, not billion, but trillion dollars. He oversees uh, governance of 144 million citizens, uh, a military with almost 3 million soldiers, including weapons and tanks and aircraft, bombs and a nuclear arsenal. He is one of two or three most powerful and consequential individuals living on the planet today. And as Kraft thought about how he was going to try to get his ring back, began thinking about what had just taken place here. He had probably never been in an instant situation like this. As powerful and as wealthy as he was, as influential as he was in his own circles, he had just met his match. And so he couldn't get that ring back there in that moment. He goes back to the United States and <clears throat> thinking about as Mr. Vladimir Putin walking away surrounded by an entourage of KGB and security personnel as powerful and as influential as he was, there was nothing he could do. And so he began to call and make contact with his contacts in the United States State Department. He had some contacts, he had some connections, and, and so he began to try to get a hold of the people who handle foreign affairs with Russia, and he began to speak to the White House, and get this, he was told by the White House that it would be in his best interest <laughs> in the best interest of the United States and Russian relations, if he would just forget about that old ring and completely just consider it as a gift to the Russian people. I love that. 
And so, according to reports, all right, after putting up some resistance, apparently Mr. Kraft kept trying to just, just get, get some leverage, get some momentum within the State Department. And every single time, they just kept telling him, it would really be in your best interest if you just leave this alone. Just, it would really be in your best interest. After several years, Mr. Kraft admitted that Mr. Putin stole his ring. You see here what we find in this interesting story, this story that I just, I could just, just think about this story and just, just get a smile on my face. What we find here is we see a display of something more than just power. What we find here in this interaction between this billionaire and this trillionaire head of state is a display of not just power but of sovereignty and authority. As a powerful man as Mr. Kraft was, as an owner of a football team with all of his money, all of his connections, there was nothing that he could do about Vladimir Putin displaying real power because in that moment and in that struggle, it didn't matter that Bob Kraft had billions because Vladimir Putin was in charge of trillions. In that moment, in that struggle, in that fight, in that battle, in that, in that occurrence, it didn't matter that Bob Kraft owned a professional football team because Vladimir Putin was in charge of the world's, one of the world's largest militaries. It didn't matter that Bob Kraft had connections inside the government because Vladimir Putin was the government. So Bob Kraft realized something that I think is a very important lesson for us to take into consideration today as he was trying to fight for the possession of one of his most powerful or pa most valuable possessions taken from him, realizing that there was absolutely nothing he could do, he learned a very important lesson about the difference between power and authority. I want to tell you today that whether you recognize it or not, Connection Point Church, that we are all facing and we all face these tension struggles, these power struggles that happen at every level of life. It happens in politics. It happens in business. It happens on professional football teams. And whether we realize it or not, and whether we believe it or not, there is actually a power struggle between powers and authorities that is taking place in the spiritual realm. The Bible tells us that there are present, whether we see it or recognize it or not, or not that there are, in fact, spiritual strongholds, that there is in fact a power struggle taking place in the spiritual realm for the fate and the well-being of our souls. Strongholds and imaginations, lies and deceptions, corruption and sin, spiritual powers and forces in high places that oppose the word of God and the will of God. Demons and angels all fighting and vying for the same position, trying to enforce their will all trying to conquer the same territory and that is to occupy the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions, and the lives of humanity. I want to tell you that we might not see it in our natural eyes. We might not see it in the physical realm. But what I want to tell you today is at times, I'm sure if we were all honest, at times, although we can't see it, there are moments in our life that we can sense that there is something taking place in a realm beyond what we can recognize in the natural. That there are times where we are fighting battles that we can't even see ourselves. 
battles in our thoughts, battles in our emotions, battles in the spiritual realm, struggling over the course and the direction of our life. I want to tell you today that although Satan is the enemy of our soul, that he has won his fair share of battles, and although he has occupied some territory, perhaps he has gained some progress in our lives or in the lives of those around us, certainly in this world to be sure. What I've come to tell you today is that although there is a spiritual battle being waged all around us, that as children of God, that we don't have to fear, we don't have to worry, because although there are strongholds and there is spiritual darkness and there is spiritual forces to be sure, the Bible tells us and reassures us that we have overcome them because greater is He that is in us than He that is in this world. I want to tell you today that just like Vladimir Putin flexed his authoritative muscle over a man with what he thought he had was power and influence. There was no greater authority that was flexed than on that day on Calvary's cross when Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, came to this world and just when he, when the enemy thought he had Jesus right where he wanted him, he buried him in that tomb. He was long lost and forgotten. The Bible tells us that on the third day that Jesus Christ rose again again by the power of the Holy Ghost and in raising from the grave he conquered the enemy of death he conquered the enemy of hell he conquered the enemy of the grave I want to tell you today that there is a difference between power and authority Jesus said all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth I want to tell you today that he's not just the king but he is the king of kings he's not just the Lord but he is the Lord of lords. He is the the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and he has all power and authority therein. I want to tell you today whatever battle you're up against whatever spiritual struggle you may be fighting whatever emotional toll the enemy may be taking on you, whatever mental strain or anxiety you may be facing or feeling here today, I want to tell you that there is power and authority and victory all in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you today that your hope is still in Jesus. Your strength is still in Jesus. Your authority is still in Jesus. He is Lord and He is King. And the Bible tells us that He has power over all of enemies, of, of our spiritual enemies' uh, ability to, to inflict His will in our life. The Scripture says that one day that every knee is going to bow, that every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The scripture tells us that Jesus must reign until he hath put all enemies underneath his feet. That when he ascended on high, the Bible says that, that he put all of his enemies underneath his feet. What that really means is no matter what you're facing here today, that, 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 that there's victory for you. That Jesus is going to put your enemies underneath his feet. Your problems are underneath his feet. Your sickness is underneath his feet. Your financial needs are underneath his feet. Your spiritual needs are underneath his feet. Your mental and emotional anguish is underneath his feet. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ has power and authority over all the battles that we face in this life. And as we seek our strength from the Lord, I want to tell you today 
that as much as the enemy might have thought he had us right where he wanted us, as much as there might have been a power shift in our life through the past couple of years of discouragement and distraction and, 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 and deception that have taken place in this world, that I want to tell you through the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Ghost that there is a power shift that's getting ready to take place at Connection Point Church and in your family and in our life as we go further in the fight. We're going further today. Everyone say, everyone say further. We're going further today. I'm sick of the enemy discouraging us. I'm sick of the enemy distracting us. I'm sick of the enemy trying to disrupt us. I'm sick of the enemy trying to divide us. And I've come today to tell you that we are not ignorant of his devices, but we are going to move further in our fight to take over the territory that God has for our church, our lives, and our family. Amen? So whether we realize it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual fight. But what is a spiritual fight? What really is a spiritual battle? You see, the reality is that God, God has a purpose for all of our lives, that he has a plan for us, a plan for our families, a plan for our marriages, a plan for our children, that God has a purpose and a plan. And that plan involves us walking in his peace, walking in his joy, following after the leading and the guidance of the Holy Ghost in our life. But when the enemy recognizes that we are doing all of these things and making spiritual progress in our life, he will begin to work in a way that he can, whatever he can do, the Bible says, that he works to disrupt us, to divide us, to deceive us, to try to cast doubt in our life, to destroy the work of God in our life. You see, as he works to try to disrupt us through culture, through media, through politics, through, through, through uh, uh, various means and ways, the scriptures, uh, it's clear that the enemy is not ignorant, that, the, that he's got some cunningness about him, that he's not going to let you know exactly how it is that he's attacking you. He's not going to let you know exactly how it is that he's trying to bring a battle to you. But we have to be wise and recognize that, that the ultimate result of everything that the enemy wants to accomplish in our life is going to end up in something that is ultimately going to take us away from the plan, the purpose, and the will of God. That Whether that's discouragement or division or disruption or doubt, we have to recognize that whatever the circumstances are in our life, that whether it's a relationship or whether it's politics or whether it's COVID or whether it's culture or whether it's a set of circumstances in our life, that when we find ourselves feeling discouraged, when we find ourselves feeling divided from the body of Christ, when we find ourselves feeling disruption in our spiritual progress or doubt in our walk with God, we have to realize and be sensitive to the realities that whatever it brought, that whatever the means or the methods were that brought us to that point, that the enemy would like to use that to gain territory in our life. I'm not trying to be overly sensational here today. I'm not trying to be overly spiritual or mystical today. But what I am trying to tell you is that there is a battle going on in our minds and in our hearts that will affect our spiritual position and progress with God. That whether it's your financial situation, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a falling out with a friend or a family member, that Satan would like to use whatever circumstances he can in your life to get a foothold into your emotions 
and to get a foothold into your thinking and to get a foothold into your commitment to the house of God, to the things of God, to the work of God. And whether he used this means or that means, the reality is is that the end result is always the same. That he wants to leave you feeling flustered. He wants to leave you feeling frustrated. And he wants to ultimately leave you feeling disconnected from God. But I want to tell you, if we're going to push back, the very first thing that we have to do, if we're going to fight this battle, if we're going to get victory in our life, the very first thing that we have to do that we find in the Word of God is we have to be wise and watchful concerning the battle that the enemy wants to bring. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. He goes on, he says, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave it I in the person of Jesus Christ. He goes on, Lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul was dealing with a specific spiritual battle that was being waged against this, against this church in Corinth. That there was something that had taken place that caused the, 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 the members of that church in Corinth to become offended. They became hurt. In fact, if you study a little deeper in the scripture, you find that Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, the first letter of to the Corinthians, in which he scolded them in, in, in a sense. that He rebuked them. He was very sharp in his criticisms of, of the way they were allowing certain things to take place in the church. And now Paul is writing the second letter to the Corinthians and he's trying to encourage them and, and restore some of, their, some of the, uh, the, the, the feelings that, that had been uh, felt hurt and discouraged. And, and he's making a point that don't allow your ought or your offense to get Satan an opportunity to, to distract you and discourage you and disconnect you from the things of God. I want to tell you today that we are all going to face battles and circumstances in our life, whether it's unforgiveness or whether it's discouragement or whether it's jealousy or, or whether it's insecurity or whether we've got our own just personal struggles and, and challenges that we're facing that the enemy is going to try to use to get us disconnected from God, get us disconnected and disrupted from the progress in God. And I want to tell you that as we are in a time of prayer and fasting, I feel even more heightened awareness that the enemy is trying to bring disruption into the church of God. We have to be watchful and aware of what the enemy is trying to do. So here we have this story. I'm almost done. We find the story of Nehemiah. The Bible tells us that Nehemiah was living in the city of Susa. He was, he was living in the king's house, King Artaxerxes. And in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the individual who took over after King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a cupbearer for Artaxerxes, and the Bible says that his brother had come into the city from the city of Jerusalem and had an update for the well-being of the people of Jerusalem. And, and, Nebu and Nehemiah asked uh, about the status of his people. And when he heard that the city was in ruins, that the walls were burnt down, that the gates were destroyed, that, 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 that the people that were there were just living in, in, in shame and in, 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 in trouble, the Bible says that Nehemiah caught a burden for the city of Jerusalem. And so he went to the king and he asked the king for papers that would allow him to go into the city and begin rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. 
And the king allowed him. The hand of God was upon him. And as he gets to the city to begin rebuilding, and he's building up the kingdom, and he's making progress in his life. And in a sense, you could say he's starting to pray, and he's starting to read his Bible, and he's starting to fast, and he's starting to plug back in to the purpose and the plan of God for his life. All of a sudden, the Bible tells us that the enemy started trying to distract him and disrupt him. Look what the scripture says. Verse 6 of chapter 4, so we built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. And now it happened that when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. But nevertheless, we made our prayer to God And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. I want to tell you today that in this time of prayer and fasting, we need to have a heightened sense of awareness of the devices of the enemy in our life. Don't be surprised that the enemy is going to try to discourage us from meeting together. Don't be surprised when the enemy is going to try to disrupt your time of devotion to God. Don't be surprised when you find yourself getting distracted and disconnected from the things that God has already spoken into your life. I want to tell you the very first thing that we need to do in 2022 is be mindful and aware of the wiles and the effects of the enemy in our life. So the Bible says that they continued building. And Nehemiah did his best to try to defend off <clears throat> these enemies that were trying to attack them and discourage them and, and distract them. It brings us to this ultimate moment. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6. The Bible says that Nehemiah with the soldiers and his builders, with one hand they had tools, and the other hand they had they had weapons of warfare that they ultimately came to this place. The enemy was throwing everything he had to try to, to try to bring accusations against them and to bring lies and deception against them and to try to get them to quit making progress on the walls of the city. The scripture tells us that they finally came together there at a certain place and the priest by the name of Ezra, he began standing up and he began reading and preaching from the word of the Lord and Ezra blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered amen and amen with lifting up of their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord their God with their faces to the ground. That Nehemiah realized that as the enemy is trying to take us away and distract us and separate us and disrupt us, that we need to gather together, that we need to come together in one, per, one place and in one accord, and we need to worship the Lord our God. I want to tell you today that in 2022, as we begin this time, this year, just trying to get further and further in the Lord, the enemy, as he's trying to throw everything he can at us to get us distracted and disconnected from the house of the Lord, I think it's more important than ever that we reestablish our commitment to prayer, to worship, to the reading to the preaching and to the gathering together in God's house. I want to tell you that one of the ways that we fight our spiritual battles is through the discipline of worship, through the act of worship. The Bible says that as Ezra preached the word, the crowd there began to amen the preacher. They began to lift their hands in, in, in exaltation and surrender to God and they bowed their heads in worship to God. I want to tell you today that one of the most powerful things that you can do in the middle of your spiritual battle is to find a way to worship God in the midst of your discouragement. 
I want to tell you if you can worship God in the middle of your doubt and you can worship God in the middle of your distractions and you can worship God in the middle of your discouragement, there is perhaps nothing more powerful than a child of God who is in the middle of a spiritual battle but has enough faith and fortitude to make their way into the house of God or to a prayer room or to a time away with God and just simply begin to worship God with all of your heart. Let me tell you why worship is powerful in the middle of a spiritual battle. Because when you worship God in the middle of your fight, in the middle of your confusion, in the middle of your discouragement, in the middle of your pain, I want to tell you what happens when you worship God in the middle of a spiritual battle is you begin to invite the presence of God into the middle of your fight. I told you earlier today that there is a difference between spiritual power and there is a difference between spiritual authority. There is no doubt that the enemy of our soul, the enemy of darkness, the, the, the spirit of darkness, the prince and the principality of this world, that he has certain power to dissuade us and discourage us and to frustrate us and divide us. You look at this culture right now. This is a culture that is divided, that is discouraged, that is under the effects and the works of an enemy. But I want to tell you there is a difference between power and the authority of the name of Jesus and when you worship in the middle of your fight and you worship in the middle of your discouragement and when you worship in the middle of your doubt the spirit of the Lord begins to move in God's presence begins to move in his grace his mercy his goodness begins to take over and push out and expel the spiritual darkness when you worship God in the middle of your battle you invite the presence of the Lord into your life. I was listening to an interview here recently about a soldier. He was a Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 6, and he was in Afghanistan in the early fights, the early part of the war, and they eventually wrote a book. He wrote a book, and they eventually made a movie about him. Uh, I believe the name of it was Lone Survivor. And he was a part of the SEAL Team 6 that was given a mission. They were dropped off in the mountains of Afghanistan. And their mission was to go in and to gain intel and to take out this base, this, this uh, base that was there, enemy base that was there in the, in the mountains of Afghanistan. And they were dropped off and they hiked two or three days in the mountains. And they arrived at this point. And there in the middle of their mission, as they were getting ready to move forward in the mission, their mission was compromised. They were found out by a group of uh, uh, sheep herdsmen that discovered their location and they had to make a decision. Are we going to keep on moving forward or are we going to just get out of this situation? And for whatever the reason, they decided that they were just going to, uh, they were going to uh, let these captives go and they were going to try to get to a higher ground but but they were soon found and all these enemies all of these rebel soldiers all of these enemy soldiers found their location and it was there that they began fighting it was an intense gunfight and there was just a uh, extreme loss of life and this individual that wrote this book was the lone survivor and he he tells in his story that the only way that he was able to get out of that situation is to get communication back to their base to get air support into the battle. <clears throat> it was that air support that when the air support 
of the United States Army and Navy and military, the Marines all came in to, to extract him from that battle, to extract him from that situation. It was then and only then was he able to get the victory out of this intense battle that he was in the middle of. And I want to tell you, I can't help but consider that a very close parallel to when we begin to get communication with the Lord through prayer and through worship, that we may be fighting and we may feel like we're losing and we may feel disconnected and distracted and, and we may just feel like God is nowhere near us. But if we can just get to a place of worship and prayer and focus on the things of God, that's when the battle comes to us. That's when the presence of the Lord comes to us. That, that's, when the, that's when the bombs and the guns and the authority of the Lord come to us. I want to tell you, you are not so far that God cannot help you and heal you and encourage you. But you've got to worship God in the middle of your fight. We've got to watch and we have to worship. And if we will watch, we will be vigilant. If we will pray, if we'll be connected to God's word, if we'll stay connected to the church and we will worship God in the middle of our fight, I want to tell you that we will see God bring the victory in 2022. Stand with me here today. You see, all throughout God's word, we see God displaying not only his power, but his authority on behalf of his people. When Moses walked into Pharaoh's throne room and said, let my people go. Although the Bible tells us, if you read Exodus 20 times, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It took one miracle after another, yet Pharaoh was not convinced. One plague after another was not enough to convince Pharaoh and to ultimately give Moses that victory. But it was when God finally decided that to bring a death angel, that Pharaoh released his people and ultimately realized that there is a, an authority that is greater than even my power. The most powerful king on the earth recognized the difference between power and the authority of God. You look at David and Goliath. The Bible says that the, Pharaoh, the Philistines brought their giant into the valley of Elam to battle against the children of Israel. He was a giant by the name of Goliath. He was a man with, with, with fierce fighting capabilities. No one in the army of the children of Israel wanted to go out and meet this giant. But David had a faith and a realization that there is a difference between Goliath's power and God's authority. So David said, I'm not going to go against him with a spear or with a sword, but I'm going to go against him in the name of the Lord. The Bible says with all the faith he could muster, he walked out there and with just a little slingshot that David in the name of the Lord took down that mighty giant and wrought victory for the children of Israel. You can go from Genesis to Revelation and you'll recognize it time and time and time and time and time again that when God's people pray, when God's people worship, when God's people trust not in power, not in might, but in His Spirit, that there is victory to be wrought by the hand and the authority of our God. Can we just lift our hands all over this place?
I was praying this week, and I want to invite you to come to this altar in just a moment. I've not had many experiences like this, but I was praying in our time of fasting. God began to just stir my heart about awakening, being awakened to the reality of spiritual warfare. I believe in spiritual warfare. I know it's real, but it's not something I always think about. But God began to just stir me and awaken me to the reality that the enemy is working diligently to try to wage war against his people, his church. And as I was praying, I just felt, you take it for what it's worth, as though God would just make us aware that in this season of life that the enemy is trying to accomplish two things to to divide us and to disrupt us he wants to divide us through the culture he wants to divide us through this world and he wants to disrupt us from moving forward in the purpose and the plans of God but I just feel today that although there may be a powerful thrust of the enemy to try to do those two things, that there is authority that is greater than anything in this world, that, 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 that if God is for us, that who can be against us, that if you want to serve God, that you can serve God. If you want to overcome, you can overcome. If you want to walk by faith, you can walk by faith. If you want to have joy, you can have joy. If you want to have victory, you can have victory. If you want the peace of God in your life, you can have the peace of God in your life. And so all over this place, I want us just to begin to make our way. If we can make our way forward, I want us just to wage a little...